My name is Guy. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at River West, and it is really special to be with you all this morning, and most importantly, to open up the Bible. We open up the scriptures, and we want to hear from God's Word. So if you need a Bible, raise your hand. An usher will come, give you a Bible. And when you get that Bible, open up to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. This morning, I want to share with you the power and the glory of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no better topic, and I'm excited to open that with you this morning. So let's take a look at Luke chapter 10. We're going to read from verse 38 to 42, and then we're going to explore that together. So here we go, Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Now she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up and she went up to him and she said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen that good portion which will not be taken away from her. There it is, the story of Mary and Martha. And to me, at first glance, the most striking thing about this story is that it doesn't seem to fit. To me, it's striking that this story doesn't seem to fit with everything that has gone before it and with the things that are going to come after it. It seems out of place in some way. If you simply review... I'm not going to read it all, but just review in your mind all the things that have happened in Luke just chapter 9 and chapter 10 and get a feel for what's going on in this gospel. If we just go back to chapter 9, we're going to find King Herod, who's a bad guy, and he has beheaded John the Baptist because he's a bad guy, not John the Baptist, but Herod. He's perplexed about who Jesus is. He can't figure Jesus out. And he's convinced that Jesus is John the Baptist risen from the dead. Okay, that's intense. That is followed by a miracle, the feeding of the 5,000. So here's this vast multitude, and all they have is a couple loaves and fish, and Jesus multiplies the loaves and fish, and he feeds a great multitude. Amazing. In chapter 9, we have the confession of Peter who says, you're the Christ. I I get it. I see who you are. You're the Lord, the Messiah. You're the Christ. Jesus commends him only to start speaking about the cross. Jesus says, but I'm going to have to go to Jerusalem and suffer and be crucified and die. And Peter rebukes him, says, this will never happen to you. And Jesus actually says, get behind me, Satan, right? (laughs) Intense stuff, followed by the transfiguration. 
Jesus goes on a mountain with Peter, James, and John. He's transfigured before them, begins to, to glow in their presence. Moses and Elijah show up. That's intense stuff. They come down the mountain, and the rest of the disciples are trying to cast a demon out of a young man. And this, this young man is like a burn victim. The demon is causing him to fall into the fire. He's burning himself. It's commotion. It's chaos. Not long after that, they pull into Samaria. And the Samaritans are looking like they're going to reject Jesus. And the disciples say, should we call down fire from heaven? <laughs> Pretty intense stuff, isn't it? Jesus sends out the 72 on a mission. They go out with authority to cast out demons, to heal. When they come back, they say, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Wow, that's intense stuff. It's spiritual conflict. After spiritual highlight, after spiritual highlight, it's incredible. Then comes that parable that last Sunday that we learned, what we call the parable of the Good Samaritan, which is thought to be perhaps the greatest parable ever spoken. It's one of the most famous parables ever spoken. This lawyer comes up and he wants to justify himself and he has this dialogue with Jesus and the things that Jesus says are just mind-blowing. So all of that is happening, event after event after event, intensity, conflict, spiritual warfare, and then next we're transported into the living room. Next, we go to Mary and Martha's house. We go in, there's a dinner. There they are, two sisters and Jesus and the meal being prepared and the sisters are fighting over who should be doing the work of preparing the dinner. I can't think of more a more extreme like change of, of pace it's all intentional. You know, I, I have a kind of a collection of pictures that I collect from the Gospels. It's a list that I call snapshots of glory. There's snapshots of the glory and the power of the Gospel. So I like to have these pictures. They're kind of labeled. They're all in my mind, and I have them so that when I need one of them, I can choose one of these pictures and I can talk about the Gospel. So I have... I have the transfiguration. It's on there. You know, it's on the highlight reel. It's like, wow, that's the power of the gospel right there. I have the miracle of the multiplication of the loaves and fish. I have the casting out of demons. I have healings. I have the great teachings of Jesus. Him walking on the water. It's like Jesus, 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 gospel, power, glory. It's amazing. But I will tell you something. This story of Mary and Martha has never, ever made it onto my highlight reel. It, it has never been on the list. It's not a snapshot of the glory of the gospel. That is until today. Because today I'm adding it to the list. And I want to tell you why. Here's point number one. I'm adding it to the list. Because in this story, the Lord Jesus hangs out with ordinary people in ordinary places, doing ordinary things. And I want to ask you the question, what would the gospel be like if that weren't true? 
the story seems oddly out of place. Why all this intensity, all this conflict, all these victories, all these miracles? Why? And then all of a sudden we're in the living room having a meal with Jesus and these two ladies are having a little interpersonal conflict. It just seems so domestic. I mean, really the scene, it's like one of the most ordinary scenes that you can imagine. And then I realized, oh, this too is the glory and the power of the gospel of Christ. That Jesus comes into the lives of ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And did you notice the word Lord? You know, it's pointed out that in this passage, the word Lord is used three times. It's like, it's like condensed. It's almost like it's just intentionally thrust in there. Lord, Lord, Lord. Can I show it to you? They went on their way. They entered the village. A woman named Martha welcomed him. She had a sister, Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Martha was distracted with much serving. She went up to him and she said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. And the Lord answered her. It's called out, Lord, Lord, Lord. This is Jesus the Lord. And I think it's intentionally expressed that way to remind us of who's at dinner. Who is this that has taken a break from all this extreme stuff to come into the living room of these two, I'm going to call them ordinary women, Mary and Martha. This isn't the apostles' house. These aren't religious leaders for Jesus to go into the home of these two women and to join them for a meal would be very unusual in that culture for Jesus, the rabbi, to do that. And so he's honoring them, but we say, well, wait, who are these women? They just, they seem to be ordinary in the vast scope of things. And who is it who is in the living room at an ordinary meal with these ordinary women? And the answer is, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're reminded, when we hear the word Lord, we're reminded of all of the other stories. We're reminded that this is the Lord Jesus who calmed the storm. This is the Lord Jesus who multiplied the loaves. This is the Lord Jesus who has power and authority over demons. This is the Lord Jesus who healed the sick and walked on the water. This is the Lord Jesus who was on the Mount of Transfiguration and he glowed like the sun in glory as a foreshadowing of his resurrection. That Lord Jesus stepped into the living room to have a meal with ordinary people in an ordinary place and doing ordinary things. Isn't that amazing? Now, why is it here? Is the story out of place? Maybe not. So now as we, we go back and we think more about the Gospel of Luke, so if you go end to end in the Gospel of Luke, all of a sudden you realize, oh, Luke has been making this point the whole time. The Gospel comes to ordinary people. The shepherds, there they are, just ordinary shepherds. They're out in their field. They're watching their flock by night. It's so cool. And the angels appear to them, singing in glory. So it's, it's an ordinary moment. 
one moment and the next moment it's pretty extraordinary to get in an angel, an angel choir. And then we see Simeon and Anna in the temple. They bring Jesus to have him dedicated and Simeon takes up Jesus. Who's Simeon? Who is that guy? We don't know, really. I mean, he's, he's just some guy. Okay, he seemed to be a prophet. I mean, he had a prophecy and stuff, but, but that's it. We don't know much more about him. He just shows up, and, and then you realize, oh, this is the way the Gospel of Luke goes. It's all these ordinary lives that are intersecting with the life and the Gospel of Jesus. That's the way the Gospel ends. In one of my favorite stories in the Bible... On Easter Sunday, Jesus shows up and begins to walk with the two disciples on the way to Emmaus. Remember, Cleopas and his buddy. What's his buddy's name? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Somebody gave me a T-shirt and it said, I'm with Cleopas. And it had a, it had a, a thing. Because <laughs> they know it's one of my favorite stories. I'm with Cleopas. Who? Who's Cleopas? Who are you? I don't know. How did they make it into the Bible? How did they get in here? Why did Jesus show up and walk the road to Emmaus with these guys? Here's the way the gospel sends us off. If you look at Luke in chapter 24, let's look at verse 28. So Jesus is walking and he's, they don't realize who it is. They don't know that it's Jesus Luke 24, 28, so they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us? while he talked to us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us. Oh, it's that same theme. Once again, post-resurrection, Jesus shows up with the ordinary guys. The guys who were leaving town, they were leaving Jerusalem like, we're out of here, it's over. Jesus shows up with them. What does he do? He goes to an ordinary place, they go to an inn and they sit down to have a meal. And Jesus shows up, and Jesus is sharing the meal. And this, too, is the glory of the gospel. Jesus hangs out with us, the ordinary. Jesus speaks to us there. I can tell you that some of the most extraordinary moments in my Christian life have been in very ordinary places, not in church services, not on a mountaintop high at a retreat, but just in the most ordinary times and places, driving in my car, in traffic, driving in my car. And the Lord speaks a word. And I can tell you, I can tell you time and place where the Lord has spoken a dramatic word to me unexpectedly in the most ordinary of situations. Life-changing word. My front porch just sitting there, just thinking. And just all of a sudden, the Lord just speaks in powerful ways. Pastor Nopum, he, he said, the Lord spoke to me. And then he, he paused, he said, Pastor, is it okay if I, if I say it like that in your church? 
that the Lord spoke to me because some churches, you know, they don't like to hear that, that the Lord spoke. And I'm like, it's okay here. It's okay here. The Lord spoke to me in my living room while I'm having a fight with my wife. It happened, happened one time. One time. <laughs> I mean, just an ordinary, an ordinary moment in a marriage, in a home, in an ordinary place, in a living room, and there's friction and there's tension, and the Lord speaks to my heart and says, it's going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Your marriage is going to be okay. Wow. Or another time in my living room, in another fight with my wife. It wasn't a fight. We weren't fighting. We were having a dialogue, I like to say. And the Lord speaks to me. And the Lord says, you're a complete jerk and you know it. You're just a jerk. And I know it's the Lord and I'm like, I'm a jerk. (laughs) I'm a complete jerk. And you know what? It was a gospel moment, which brings me to point number two in the story. And point number two is this. The Lord Jesus comes into the lives of distracted, anxious, and troubled people like you and me. And this is because he loves us and he wants to change our lives. Now, this is what Martha stands for. Martha, you know, she doesn't come out looking that great in the story. So let's just say it up front. And Martha's got some issues. I describe Martha with six words. And three of them are directly in the text. And three of them, I believe, are just implied. All right? Here are six words. Here's the first three. They're directly in the text. Distracted, anxious, and troubled. Take a look at it. Chapter 10, verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving. She's not really paying attention to Jesus. She's not really paying attention to what's happening. She's distracted. Okay, so she went up to the Lord and she said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. And the Lord answered and said, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled by many things. Two more words, anxious and troubled. That's a description directly in the text of Martha. But to those three words, I'm adding three more. These are the next three words, irritable, demanding, and aggressive. (laughs) Now, I'm not making it up. You have to put yourself in the story. Just think about it because I guess we have to think tone of voice a little bit, don't we, when we read this story. Okay, so she's distracted by serving. She goes up to Jesus and she says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Can we just do the voice on that? Isn't it weird that she calls Jesus Lord and then she accuses him? I find that to be somewhat troubling. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Tell her to help me. Come on. I'm putting it in the category of irritable 
and demanding and aggressive. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I see it this way. And Jesus is there in her living room. Now here's Jesus who knows all things. He knows every heart. He knows what's coming down the road. He knows Martha better than she knows herself. He knows what's going to go on in that house. And Jesus walks in to have a meal with her. Why does he do that? Why would he do that? Martha sends an invitation. She says, Lord, I know. I know you're busy. I know you're very busy with transfigurations and casting out demons and giving great parables. And you like important stuff. I get it. I know you're really busy. But would you consider maybe coming over to my house for dinner? And what does Jesus do? The Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus says, yeah, I'll come. I'll come. And he doesn't say this, but maybe he's thinking, I'll come. And I know that you're distracted, anxious, troubled, irritable, demanding, and aggressive. But I'll come. And why does he do that? He does it because of love. He loves her. That's why he's there. The Bible tells us in the Gospel of John, in chapter 11, in another story with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, the brother, it says Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He loved these people deeply. But there's a clue in our own text that points to his love as well. And here's the clue. It is the doubling of her name in verse 41. The doubling of her name. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Martha, Martha. So I guess you got to do the voice again, or maybe better than doing the voice, maybe what you need to do is think about what happens in the Bible, in the gospel, when a name is doubled. When the name is doubled, it's a sign of deep passion, of a heart fully engaged. You can find it in Luke 13 and in verse 34. Think about this one. Jesus says, he looks at the city of Jerusalem. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you would not. What's going on? Jesus, he's doubling the name Jerusalem, Jerusalem, and it's his full heart is engaged. It's a sign of, of deep passion. Jesus is hanging on the cross, dying for our sins. And he looks up to heaven. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I mean, this is intense, focused, passionate speech. Take all of that and let's bring it back now into the living room. Let's bring it right back into the scene and hear Jesus as he says, Martha, Martha. He's not scolding her. He's not shaming her. He's loving her. Martha, I know you. I know you. I get it. I understand. And he says, Martha, Martha, 
You're anxious and you're troubled about many things, but there is one thing that is needed and then it can never be taken away from you. And that's what I want for you. You see, Jesus wants something for her, and that's why he's there. He's come into the life of an ordinary person who actually is not just ordinary, but is maybe somewhat difficult. Do you know any difficult people? And he's come into that setting, and he's there because he loves this person, and he wants something better for them. That's the glory of the gospel. And it is incredibly profound. If I could think of six words to apply to the psyche of our entire nation right now, I think that I might choose these six words, distracted, anxious, troubled, irritable, demanding, and aggressive. Now, you could put some other words in there, I'm sure, but I think that's a good start, right? Think about the world that we live in right now. Think about our own nation. Think about what's happening socially in the social fabric of our country right now. And what you'll find is people who are distracted, anxious, troubled. You know the word trouble means a riot? Paul started riots, you know, and so there was like these riots around him. And this is the word used of that. It's it's like there's a riot going on in her heart, internally. There's a riot happening. She's freaking out. I mean, she is just freaking out in this moment. And I think about what's going on in our country, and I talk to Christians, and I see people all around me, and I think, man, it's so sad, the emotional state. So now let's take this poor woman. And there she has her issues already. I mean, she's upset with the sister and she's, you know, maybe she's kind of OCD or she's a perfectionist. You know what they say about perfectionists? Perfectionists take infinite pains and give them to everyone else. You've ever heard that one? Okay, so she's a perfectionist. She has these issues. Now let's take this poor woman and let's put a smartphone in her hand. (laughs) Let's put a smartphone in her hand and let's sign her up for Twitter, get her going on social media, get all the news feeds going in there. And then in addition to everything else, she's worried about her sister and the meal and everything else. She, and Jesus is there and she's, she's just, oh, I can't believe it. Oh, look at that. Oh, so-and-so said what? They think what? Right? That's the world that we live in. And I'll tell you something. Jesus loves us and he wants something better for us. That's the gospel. He wants something better for you. All the stuff that she's worried about, it's all going to be swept away. It's all, in the end, it's not going to mean anything. There's one thing that is needed. There's one thing that's most important. And that thing, he says, I want for you because it can never, ever be taken away from you. Here's a sad truth. We can actually be fruitless in good works. Like we can do good works, good things. You can be involved in in what you consider to be good causes and be completely fruitless in those things. Why would I say that? Because it's in the Bible. How about, let's go to Colossians. 
in chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. Paul says, we're praying for you that you might actually know God's will in a spiritual level, that you can understand what God is doing, what God wants to do, because that's the only way you can actually bear fruit in your good works and works. So, and I, I would imply also, therefore, that you can do good works and not bear any fruit. See, the problem with Martha is not that she's the active one and Mary is the quiet, contemplative one. That's not the contrast. The problem with Martha is not her activity, it's her attitude. That's her problem. It's not her activity, it's her attitude. As if the gospel calls us to to sit forever and look at Jesus and never do anything. No way. The parable right before Jesus said, go down and do likewise. He said, go. You got stuff to do, go do it. There's stuff to do. But what's crucial is that what we do is coming from a heart that's right with Jesus. And if my heart is distracted, anxious, troubled, there's a good chance that my heart is not right or trusting in Jesus. And there's a good chance then that what I do is going to be fruitless. Jesus says, I don't want that for you. I want something better for you. That's the gospel. And that brings me to point number three. Jesus speaks his life-changing gospel word to those who will listen and respond in humble faith. Now, at the center of the story, I've sort of skirted the issue so far, but at the center of the story is this headline fact about Mary. We read it several times. It says in verse 39, Martha had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Now, this is the punchline, really, of the whole story. Mary sat at the feet of Jesus. That's a position of discipleship. The disciple sits at the feet. It's an expression that means she's a disciple of Jesus. She's listening to Jesus. She's trying to hear and understand the gospel. She listened to his word, to his message. Jesus is explaining the gospel, and she's listening carefully. And then at the end of the story, it says, you know what Mary did? She chose the one most important thing she chose the good portion that cannot be taken away from her, can't be taken away. She hears the words of Jesus. She's taking them in. She's not all distracted and anxious and 
dialing into social media and getting all worked up about everything. She's not doing that. She's listening to the word of Jesus and what she's receiving is filling her up with something that she can never lose. While Martha is busy with activity and she's emptying herself in the process and ending up on empty. Isn't that weird? So many of us, we've had this experience in our life and the Lord wants something better for us. The Lord wants us to have that one good, most important experience of life that can never be taken from us. And that's that we hear and respond to the gospel words of Jesus. Now, the gospel words of Jesus have many dimensions. The gospel word of Jesus is the word that he'll go to the cross and he'll die for sins. And she heard that word. We know that because later in John 12, she begins to wash the feet of Jesus and she's anointing him with this expensive perfume and the disciples are all upset. And Jesus said, no, she saved this for the day of my burial. Why? She's the only one that gets it. She's the only one that understands the glory of the cross. And she becomes a symbol of somebody who worships because they understand Jesus is going to die for my sins. Have you heard that gospel word in your life and responded? That's one dimension. But there's more dimensions because Jesus said on the third day, I'll be raised up. King of kings, Lord of lords, with the mission, pouring out the Holy Spirit. God has come to fill our lives, now forgiven, filled with the Spirit to empower us to do something in this world. That's a gospel word too. There's many dimensions to the word of the gospel. But here's the key. Will we be the kind of men and women who listen humbly to this gospel word of Jesus and put our trust in him and follow him? That's the key question that is before us. And it's been that way throughout the whole gospel of Luke. This theme of hearing God's word in the gospel and humbly responding to it in faith has pervaded this gospel. So you find it all the way back in Luke chapter one, when the angel comes to Mary and lets her know that she's gonna have Jesus. She's gonna give birth to Jesus. It's gonna be a miracle. And Mary is, you know, kind of like can't really figure out exactly what's happening But here's what Mary says, and it's so important. The angel says, nothing will be impossible with God. Verse 38, Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. That sets the direction of this gospel. Let it be to me according to the gospel word of promise. Now, so many chapters later, here's Mary, this ordinary follower of Jesus in an ordinary place, doing an ordinary thing in the house, in the living room, but she's listening to Jesus. And it's as if Mary is saying, let it be to me according to your word. And Jesus says, that will never be taken away from you. That's going to fill you up instead of emptying you. That's what I want for you. You find the same truth in the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration? They see Jesus transformed. There's Moses and Elijah, and it's all very theological and deep and mysterious. And 
Something happens in this passage. Uh, Here we go. Let's take a look at chapter 9, verse 33. The men are parting from him. Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses and Elijah. He didn't even know what he was talking about, it says. As he was saying these things, a cloud came over and overshadowed them, just like Mount Sinai. They were afraid. They entered the cloud, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Listen to him. I mean, that's the point. That's like the whole point of the thing. Just, just listen to Jesus. And who's doing it? Mary. Mary's doing it. She's doing it in the living room. She's just listening to Jesus. How powerful is this? This is what Jesus wants for our lives. And it's the best thing. It can never be taken from us. So here's what we need to do. Let me give you some practical takeaways from all of this. First, calm the storm within. Calm the storm within. Because there's a storm or a riot or anxiety or distraction, um, trouble or irritability, calm the storm within. How do you do that? The Bible tells us, Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, through prayer with thanksgiving, make your request known unto God. Come to God, take all that anxiety, drop it off at his doorstep. Lord, this belongs to you. This is bigger than I can handle. So calm the storm within through prayer, bringing your burdens to God. And the second thing you do is you pray the words of the gospel. Pray the words of the gospel. What in the world does that mean? Well, it means as we read through the gospel of Luke, for instance, And we're taking a long time to do it. And that's good because it gives us plenty of time to pray. You can go back. You can read. Oh, look, there's just a few verses from the sermon this week. I can go back and read that. And I can talk to God about what God said to me. That's praying the words of the gospel. Talk to God about what God said to me in his word in the Bible. So I go through a story like this, and I'm like, Lord, help me to understand this story. Lord, help me to see the gospel in this story. Lord, help me to know who I am in this story. Lord, help me to know who you are in this story. Lord, open my eyes on a spiritual level to understand these things because that's the one thing that matters most, and it can never be taken away from me. Pray the words of the gospel. And as you pray through the gospel, the Lord begins to transform your life. Listen for the application of gospel truth in your life. As you pray, listen for the application of gospel truth in your life. So when God speaks to us, God doesn't just say random stuff. What God does is he applies the truth of the gospel to our situation. That's the way the Holy Spirit works. He's going to apply the truth of the gospel to your situation. And it's powerful when that happens. I love our brothers and sisters in Myanmar in Nopum's ministry because 
they are so tuned in to hearing the word of truth and then letting the Holy Spirit say, this is how I want you to apply it in your life. So that we hear amazing testimonies. A young lady named Moe Nue, who came to the boarding home as a young girl, as a Buddhist, dead set against the gospel, argued with Christians, was irritable (laughs) and troubled for many years, but she kept hearing the words of Jesus, hearing the words of Jesus, and finally she came to sit at the feet of Jesus, and God got a hold of her life and changed her life dramatically through the power of the gospel, and she wrote a testimony, and she said, now I see that I was so prideful I was arrogant and selfish, but the Lord forgave me of all of that and he's changed me to a different person. And now she's gone to Rakhine State, one of the most dangerous places in the world, in the name of Jesus, to plant a new boarding home. Why? Because Jesus told her to. It's an application of the gospel, right? It's an application. The Lord speaks to us and says, do this. Another young lady, Tan Pu, whose father has cancer, and you heard about him and saw the picture. Spent, the father spent eight years trying to establish a church in a difficult area, and now he has cancer. And this daughter, who was going to go off and kind of have some kind of a business career, was at an LTS training, and the Holy Spirit spoke to her and said, go and take up your father's work. It's an application of the gospel. And she said yes to the Lord. Is she empty because of that? No, she's full because of it. It's amazing. But what about us? You say, well, I'm not, you know, going to go to Rakhine State. What am I going to do, right? You're listening for the Lord. I'm in my living room having a dispute, an argument, a talk, a dialogue with my wife. And the Holy Spirit speaks to me and says, your marriage is going to be okay, but you need to humble yourself and and." Be the loving husband that I've called you to be, and you can do this. It's an application of the gospel to a specific moment. Are you listening for that? Listen for that. And finally, when you call Jesus Lord, you need to mean it. You need to mean it. Mary is a case study. Lord, don't you care? that my sister is not helping. She's leaving me to do all the work, Lord. Did you not notice? Are you so obtuse that you don't even see what's happening in front of your own eyes? What is the matter with you, Lord? I'm adding a few words. Lord, and you are the Lord, by the way, but I want you to go over right now and tell her what to do. You know what I'm saying? It's like, wait a minute. (laughs) We can't call Jesus Lord and still be the boss. Doesn't work that way, right? So when we call Jesus Lord, then we want to sincerely say, Lord, I'm looking to you for your direction. And as we let him be Lord and we listen to his word of gospel truth and we focus on what he wants us to do, to be loving in Jesus' name. Something fills us that can never be taken away. 
the gift of salvation through faith in Christ, the gift of forgiveness through faith in Christ, the gift of the Holy Spirit through faith in Christ. That's what Jesus wants for us. And all of that I see in this passage now, and so now I'm adding it to my pile of pictures, of pictures of gospel, glory, and power, and I'm so thankful to do that. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Lord, for incredible, incredible pictures of the love and grace and wisdom of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And Lord, we come to you with humble hearts, picking on Martha, but really we're just looking in the mirror because you know our hearts, Lord. You know our anxiety, our distraction, our trouble, our irritation. And so, Lord, thank you that you love us and you come to us in this state with the promise of transformation. But, Lord, please help us, Lord, help us to be those like Mary who would sit at your feet, listen to your gospel truth, be changed by it, Lord, please help us because we want that, Lord. We're tired of being empty. We're tired of, of being angry. We're tired of pointing the finger at everybody and saying, what the heck are they doing, Lord? And I just pray, Lord, that instead of that, we might be filled to overflowing with the grace of Christ through the gospel. We love you, Lord. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.